0: Hello everyone. This week, we'll wrap up our little unit here on the 1750s to 1830s with an episode about the spreading of variolation, and eventually vaccination. Now, vaccination will probably get its own entire season at some point, but this episode can serve as a little introduction. Today in this show, we've talked about a lot of diseases, but I don't think we've ever actually discussed smallpox yet. So let's do that real quick, because it's background you're going to need. The disease called smallpox is caused by a virus called the variola virus, and frequently results in fevers and a distinctive progressive skin rash. Three out of ten people with smallpox will die. Among those who survived, many had permanent scars from the rashes, especially on their faces, and some are left blind as well. As per usual on this show, it is a terrible disease. The fact that it was so terrible meant that for thousands of years there has been major interest in trying to stop it. Evidence of smallpox has been found on a 3,000-year-old mummy in Egypt, so we know it has been around for ages. Doctors from all places and times have written about it since, and at some point somebody developed the technique of variolation. Unfortunately, I cannot figure exactly who or even more specifically when, but the practice seems to have originated in Asia specifically China or India, with records detailing the practice by the 1500s. Variolation is the practice of deliberately infecting someone with smallpox, with the aim of preventing more severe harm. This sounds a little crazy even now, and must have sounded especially crazy back in the day, before any understanding of germs. I wish I could give whoever first figured this out more credit, but basically, somebody figured out that if you took dried smallpox scabs and then blew them up somebody's nose, which is just nasty, they would get a more mild form of smallpox. After recovery, that person was now immune, and only 1-2% of those people receiving the smallpox flakes up their nose died, as opposed to the 30% who got the disease naturally. It sounds pretty gross, but it worked, and smallpox was scary enough that even a 2% chance of death was still worth it for many people. The practice slowly spread, and by 1700 it was known in Africa, India, the Middle East, as well as Asia. From there, it spread to Europe by the work of one lady, Mary Wortley Montague, the wife of a British ambassador. She had been personally scarred by smallpox in 1715, three years later when she was in Constantinople, where the practice of variolation was already in use, and she requested that her son be given the treatment. In Constantinople, variolation was instead done through the blood, instead of blowing smallpox bits up the nose, but apparently it worked just as well. And Lady Montague wrote home to friends about this practice. Three years later, Lady Montague had returned to England, and a major smallpox epidemic broke out. At her urging, several prisoners and abandoned children were inoculated, and then deliberately exposed to smallpox, which is terrible and only possible because modern medical ethics just didn't exist yet. None of the prisoners or children got smallpox, though, which convinced at least some folks that this method worked. There was some pushback, but in the end, the efficacy and the lives saved outweighed the cons, like the risk of spreading the normal, serious disease, and the lower but still very real risk of death. When the royal family of England began using the practice, that essentially sealed the deal. We've mentioned it before, but in these times, if the royal family does something, it almost instantly goes into fashion. And from there, it spread to the rest of Europe. Interestingly, the practice did not get to the United States from just England, but also from Africa. As I mentioned earlier, variolation was already in use in Africa by the 1700s, and Americans were getting a lot of slaves from there. In particular, one named Onesimus knew of the practice, and Onesimus introduced his master, Cotton Mather, to the practice. During an outbreak of the disease in 1721, Mather suggested variolation, but only one doctor initially listened. When the results were good, though, the practice spread, and by the American Revolution about 50 years later, George Washington actually ordered the entire army to be variolated. By the late 1700s, variolation was essentially known throughout most of the world. As a method, variolation wasn't perfect, though. As I've discussed, it still killed 1-2% of people, and it could spread smallpox, which could lead to epidemics or outbreaks. Not great, especially in more crowded areas like cities. This leads to the discovery of vaccination, which gives immunity to the disease without just giving them the disease. The inventor of vaccination was actually a farmer named Benjamin Jesty. Jesty was a dairy farmer in England who knew about the risks of variolation, and had also heard stories from his milkmaids that cowpox, a similar but much less serious disease, also gave immunity to smallpox. In 1774, when an outbreak of smallpox occurred, Justy decided to inject his family with material from cowpox skin lesions, instead of pursuing traditional variolation, which is just a crazy thing to do in so many ways. From there, the story spread, and it was shown to have worked. Jesty was interviewed by doctors, and even allowed his sons to be exposed to smallpox by variolation. They were completely unaffected. Jesty's work didn't spread very far, though, until about 20 years later, an English doctor named Edward Jenner potentially heard of Jesty's story, but also made similar observations about smallpox and cowpox, and began experimenting with cowpox as well. He inoculated a boy with cowpox, and the boy became immune to smallpox. Jenner originally wrote up his findings and sent them to the Royal Society, England's national scientific body, but the paper was flat out refused. He then instead published his paper with the very long title of an inquiry into the causes and effects of the Variole vaccinae, a disease discovered in some of the western counties of England, particularly Gloucestershire, and known by the name of the cowpox. Clearly, concise titles were not among Jenner's strengths. Regardless, soon other doctors began to verify his findings, and within a few decades, the practice was widely in use, replacing the less safe variolation. Undoubtedly, this would save millions of lives, and while it took time, vaccination became general practice fairly quickly. We'll probably come back to vaccination later in this season, because there's still some major improvements to be made, but it had an incredible impact on public health just to have a great preventative weapon against smallpox. Next week, we'll move on into the mid-1800s. The first industrial revolution is about to kick into high gear, bringing with it new technology, but also lots of new health problems that need to be tackled. As always, thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, and feel free to reach out with the links in the show notes. And thank you, as always, to my editor, Jojo Tang, to Angie Lee, my cover artist, and to Muse Open for this music.